0: Well if you have your bibles with you there turn to the gospel of Luke the gospel of Luke and chapter 24 I want to begin by reading one verse and this will get us uh, started and I then uh, after a uh, after a brief message here this morning then we're going to invite you to come and take communion today and then uh, celebrate the remainder of the day with your families. But uh, let's look for a few minutes at Luke chapter 24. Let me just read one verse, verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Ted Turner, who founded uh, Cable News Network, or uh, you probably know it as CNN, uh, former owner of the Atlanta Braves baseball team, Uh, former husband of Jane Fonda. Yay. He was invited to Orlando, Florida to receive an award, I think uh, the Humanist of the Year Award. In his acceptance speech, he shared a very moving story. When he was a little boy, actually uh, not quite a teenager, he had a younger sister who uh, either some kind of cancer, but she became critically ill. And since his family grew up in church and he, was, he feared God and believed in God, um, they prayed. Uh, he especially remembers crying and praying to God that God would heal uh, his little sister. However, she grew progressively worse and finally died. Uh, Turner then told the audience, he said, I quote, From that moment on, I knew there was no God up there. What kind of loving God would allow my little sister to suffer and die? From then on, I depended on myself. Not some phantom being that did not exist. Well, Ted Turner is not the only or the first person who's ever been disappointed in God. If you look at that verse I just read, verse 21, it's past tense. We had hoped that he was the one. How does the resurrection resolve the issue of disappointment? A little background here. This is after the crucifixion of Christ, and it's actually after the resurrection. The 24th chapter of is, is the final chapter in the, in the book in this gospel, and it's actually on uh, chapter 24, verse 1. These things are on the first day of the week. And the tomb, the stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty. And it says in chapter 24, verse 13, on that very day, two of them, of disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, talking about these things. So this is actually the after the resurrection, on the very day of the resurrection. But... They have become discouraged, and they've given up hope. They feel like Jesus let them down. How could a crucified Messiah save anybody? And they're about seven miles out of Jerusalem, according to verse 13, so if they've been walking quite a distance, quite a while. And guess what happens? According to verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near. <laughs> Jesus comes up beside him. I mean, I can see him walking down the road. You know, Jesus taught so many good things. Yeah, he would have been a great Messiah. You remember how he fed all those people? Yeah, that—that's uh, he had he could do miracles. Yeah, I hate when they killed him like that. That just robs us all of such a future. I know it. And I don't know what I'm going to tell my family. All of a sudden, this stranger comes alongside. Verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't know who it was, they thought it was just a, uh, somebody that, walking along the same road. So he engages them in conversation. Uh, verse uh, 17. What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? That's what Jesus said to him, And they said, verse 18, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened? And Jesus says, What things? And they said, Well, verse 19, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, before all the people and God, but the chief priests and rulers delivered him to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. But this is the third day. And Jesus is, you know, walking alongside them. The the reason that they had this uh, idea that Jesus failed was because of their view of redemption. They expected a Messiah. Let me give you these uh, these, uh, three or four distinctions between what the Jewish people expected and what Jesus actually did. Here's, here's three or four differences. One thing was they believed that the Messiah would come just for the land of Israel. Uh, Jesus, however, came for the whole world. Jesus didn't just come for one race and one nation. Secondly, they believed that Jesus would come and overthrow Rome militarily. They thought that this would be a coup of some kind. They thought he would uh, set up some kind of welfare system where he feeds all the Jews out of heaven, like Moses did, and that he would be able to smite the Roman army, like Moses and Pharaoh. They expected a purely military Messiah. When Jesus came, though, he came to deliver us from sin, Satan, and death. I don't know, which would you rather have? Deliverance from Rome or deliverance from the grave? So they had, in John eighteen thirty six. he told Pilate, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world or else my servants would fight like everybody else's a different kind of kingdom. Another expectation they had was that Jesus would set up a historical temporary kingdom just like everybody else. He would set up a a throne in Jerusalem. He'd rule from Jerusalem. But Jesus actually came to rule eternally and never relinquish his authority. And fourth. They believed that that Jesus, the Messiah, would come just for the nation, the mass of people. But Jesus came for the individual. In other words, he knows you by name. He comes for you individually. He doesn't just come for a big mass of numbers. So this was their view, and when Jesus was crucified then they didn't think he was the right Messiah. We got the wrong one. It wasn't him after all. He was just a great prophet. So how does Jesus restore their faith? How does he resolve their disappointment? Let me give you three things this morning. How the living Messiah restores hope to those who have given up or been disappointed in him. Number one, he confronts their unbelief, their slowness. Look at verse 25. Uh, Jesus says in uh, verse 25, He said to them, O foolish ones, so slow of heart to believe. He kind of rebukes them here. Why would he do that? Well, you have to remember this is the third day. Um, And I I jotted this down because earlier in the Gospel of Luke, he predicted that he would be crucified and resurrected the third day. Listen to Luke 9.22. He said, Jesus did, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests, be killed, and on the third day be raised to life again. He predicted it back in Luke 9. He predicted it again in Luke 18. He said, we're going to Jerusalem. Everything written by the prophets will be fulfilled. I'll be handed over to Gentiles. They'll mock me, insult me, spit on me. And on the third day, I will rise again. So he has told them several times, look, on the third day, I'm going to be crucified. Don't let that surprise you. On the third day, I will rise again. Well, here it is, the third day. Day, verse 21, we hoped he was the one to redeem Israel, but beside all this, it's the third day. See, they should have thought about what he had said. And uh, the other thing there in verse uh, uh, 23 says, when they did not, 22 and 23, it says, some women went to the tomb and didn't find his body. And they came back and said, They had a vision of angels, that he'd been resurrected. Okay, so let's get this straight, guys. You're walking out on the third day when he said he would be resurrected on the third day. Don't you think that's a little premature? And didn't you just say that some women had already been to the tomb and it's empty? Shouldn't you check that out? Your unbelief is illogical and unreasonable. So he says, oh, foolish ones, slow. Have you ever talked to somebody that about something that is fairly obvious, but you feel like, okay, they're a little slow? I, a, a, a man came up to his pastor. Not, none of y'all here. Okay, it was Jason. I'll give you a hint. He <laughs> came up to his pastor. and <clears throat> He said, Pastor... I want you to know, I only have one sin. And he said, you know what it is? And the pastor hesitated, but okay, what is it? He said, I cuss when I get drunk. That's the only sin that I have. (laughs) Now, I told some people that before. I thought it was funny. And it is funny. Y'all just not thinking with me here. But have you ever seen somebody, it's like, okay, are these like slow? D- did you hear about the guy in the, I think it was in the paper too, where they, the two guys are going to rob a bank? And so they called ahead. Okay, we're coming to rob the bank. Could you get the money ready? <laughs> it's actually happened. Yeah, yeah, what's your name? So we'll know who to give it to. <laughs> and, of course, the police were there to arrest him. But, but when Jesus talks to these guys, look, it's the third day. I, this is what I said would happen. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. Oh, foolish ones and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, verse 25. So the first thing he does is he, he confronts their unbelief. The second thing he does, to resolve their disappointment, he shows them the scriptures. Look at uh, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Notice that. With the prophets and Moses and all the scriptures... They cons- the, he, he went through and showed them verses. He probably showed them Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve had sinned and how God went out and slew the sacrifice and took from the sacrifice, covered Adam and Eve's nakedness. Through the shed blood, they were covered. He probably showed them Isaiah 53, 6, where it says, All we like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way but the lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He probably showed them Psalm 22 verse 18 how that it, the psalm is 700 years before Christ It said they would divide my garments and gamble for my clothing Psalm 22:18 or Psalm 22:16 they would pierce my hands and my feet. He probably showed them those predictions of a crucifixion hundreds of years before they took place. He probably showed them Zechariah eleven twelve, 12, how Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Precisely, exactly prophesied in the Old Testament. He went through the scriptures and showed them the things concerning himself. How he would come, how he would be born of a virgin, how he would uh, die as a sacrifice, how he would be, uh, his hands and feet would be pierced how he would be sold, how he would be raised again. All of these things. He showed them the scriptures. The third thing he did, to restore them and recover them. You see in verse 28, they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he would go further, but they urged him saying, verse 29, Stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, verse 30, he took the bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And verse 31, their eyes were opened. He revealed himself in the breaking of bread. This is how Jesus restores and recovers discouraged believers. He comes and confronts unbelief. How illogical, how unreasonable that is. Then he shows them scriptures, how that their disappointment is part of God's appointment and part of God's plan and story. And then he gives to them a communion in which he will eat with them. And and in the eating, as they broke the bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. It is in that communion that Jesus revealed himself. This is why we want to close our service today with a communion time. That you might eat with Jesus Christ, the living Lord. And know that he's more than a sermon. He's more than a song. He's more than something you do a ritual around. Eating and communing with Christ. So after they eat with him, look at verse 33. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. That means in the middle of the night, they said, Man, this is exciting. We know he's alive. We we see something of the plan. They go all the way back to Jerusalem, which was a seven-mile walk in the middle of the night on a lonely road. But they were so energized, they go all the way back to tell everybody. And... When they get there, they realize, after listening to some of the disciples, verse 34 and 35, that he's already appeared to them as well. He reveals himself in the breaking of bread. April 26, 2006, about four years ago this month, several students were making their way back to Taylor University in Indiana. In and uh, There's about six of them in the van, and, and a truck crossed over into their path and hit them head on. It killed five of the people in the van. The funerals were held. Tears were shed. The Van Ryn family received word that their daughter, Laura, was the only survivor. Still in a coma, she was expected to recover, and as days went by, she did. She regained consciousness, opened her eyes, and spoke slowly, gradually. But she began to say some strange things, like, I'm Whitney. And Whitney was one of the girls in the van who had been killed. They've already had her funeral. In fact, it's been long enough now that the family has begun to recover. And they finally decided they would look at some dental records. And officials discovered they had made a huge blunder. They had falsely identified Whitney Sarek as Laura Van Ryan. It was not Laura recovering, it was Whitney. They notified the family. They exhumed the body of what they thought was Whitney, ran tests, and apologies were made coroner retired, but can you imagine the family's emotions when they got the phone call? You know what? Your daughter is not dead. Well, we had the funeral. We've shed the tears. We've grieved. We've begun to heal. Well, guess what? You can come and talk to her and visit her in the hospital. She's alive. Now can you imagine what such new facts would do to you as a parent They were energized they didn't say oh she's alive okay well we've got a ball game this evening but we'll we'll try to make it tomorrow evening okay well you know let tell her we said hello and we'll try to make it up this weekend and visit with her No, that kind of thing, when someone is restored, now that's just the restoration of a daughter. I'm sure that family jumped up and down and wept and jumped in the car and left. They didn't stop to change clothes. They went straight to the hospital to see their daughter. Such reunions, such rejuvenation, just because one person is added. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just add one person. He added our families. He added nations. He had. He added believers from all over the world. Folks, we get to celebrate and have eternal life because of Jesus Christ. That's why this is a great day. Resurrection's a big deal. It's a big deal, and it's something you celebrate, and I hope you'll celebrate it all day long. I hope you'll go home today and eat a meal and eat so much that you've, you've Uh, stuffed yourself and hug, hug your kids and your wife and your husbands and just say, God, I thank you that your blessings have come to me through Jesus Christ and that it continues because there is a resurrection of the physical body from the grave. Praise God forever.